0: Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about in-network versus out-of-network. We're going to get some pros and cons. We're going to be talking about private equity, EBITDA multiples. What are the pros and cons of these different models? We're going to talk about reimbursement, regulation, compliance, ease of getting paid, models that scale or don't scale. We're going to get into all that. I'm Dave Kittle, owner of Concierge Pain Relief and the CEO at the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners in regards to partnering or acquiring some or all of their practice. And today we have Amit Gaglani back on the show. He's a physical therapist and a previous practice owner. He had sold four locations to Alliance Physical Therapy Partners, uh, and worked with them in growing their platform. Amit, welcome back on the show.
1: Thank you, Dave. Great to see you. And I could tell you, your your viewers really like what you're doing because I got, I got some calls and I got some emails afterwards saying that that was a
0: great show. So you have a, a well-dedicated audience. That's awesome. Excellent. But when you were on the show before, I was really sick. I could barely talk. We still did the episode. You talked 90, 95% of the time. So I'm glad that we were able to make that happen. And therefore, whoever reached out to you, it was because of you, man. It was, it was because of the value that you brought on that episode. So we appreciate you coming back on.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, you weren't feeling so good. Instead of being a dialogue,
0: it was a monologue. Yeah. <laughs> I had to use yeah. your facial expressions just to keep, <laughs> keep it going. That's great. No, you, yeah, you did great. So one of the things that you and I talked about either before or after that show, and then over email was in-network and out-of-network. Your previous practices that you had sold to and partnered with and then sold to Alliance were in-network practices in New Jersey. I have a mobile concierge practice where we're out-of-network and private pay. So there are some some differences that we can get into today. But one of the things that you had said recently or previously was that you had looked at these different practices and you had looked at out-of-network practices and those models. So as just like an initial jumping-off point, like, You sold four of those locations. They were in network to Alliance. You've been in the game long enough. You still obviously have a lot more entrepreneurial energy and and you're helping practice owners. I forgot to mention at AG management. So management consulting and helping practice owners grow and scale. So why had you started looking into out of network in the first place? Maybe that'll just be like an initial jumping off point.
1: Yeah, so I was a a small practice owner trying to survive in this big world of insurances and things like that. And I just felt like it was very difficult when insurance reimbursement is not changing, but your, your cost of your staff is changing faster. The cost of paper is changing faster. Year after year, the cost of doing business started to increase faster than the cost of reimbursement would increase, which means you have this just continue to scale and add more patient volume, add more therapists, but your margins are smaller. And I said, there's got to be a better way. You know, Let me look into this out-of-network model. And so I started actually, you know, doing a deep dive into it and started seeing the different models out there and seeing the different reimbursement models.
0: Right. And a lot of the practice owners that watch or listen, I think, predominantly are in network. I just want to get yeah. a quick definition about out of network, because then there's this whole cash-based physical therapy world that's been growing probably the past 5 or 10 years, more and more and more physical therapists, PTs, OTs, et cetera, are branching out on their own, maybe a side hustle or whatever. And some of them... I just want to clarify the definition and terms. So some of them will say, "Oh yeah, I'm out of network," and then when you ask them or you talk to them or whatever, they're charging, let's say, I don't know, one fifty per visit or two hundred something dollars per visit from the patient, the client directly, and then they give that patient or client over email or whatever, they give them a super bill of the ICD ten codes and the CPT codes, and they say, you know, that's my rate. You pay it. Here's the super bill. Here's the receipt. You can fax it, upload this to your insurance portal and try to get reimbursement consideration. And some of those therapists will call themselves out of network. And I would say that's not out of network. That is cash-based physical therapy or private pay or fee-for-service, whatever you want to call it. And for us with out of network, we actually have a, a medical biller and we verify benefits. And then the patient or client pays towards the deductible. And then once their deductible is hit, then their cost per visit might be are $30 in-network copay or whatever. It depends on the plan, right? So I just wanted to define some of those terms before we get started. Yeah, well, you uh,
1: definitely defined it, but I will have to say this. From an insurance standpoint, you're out of network with that insurance because you're not a participating provider. So if the patient is trying to get reimbursed, You are viewed as an out-of-network person. Now you're a cash-based practice because whatever they do with the bill, they do with the bill. If they don't submit the bill, as long as they're paying you your 150, they're paying you your 150. Now they go and try to get reimbursed, they're gonna say, well, Dave Kittle's out of network, so he's not then your out of network benefits, you know, go into practice, you know, and whatever their deductible is and whatever their policies are, that is out of network. I totally get what you're saying. You're cash based. That's how your practice model works. You're not billing the insurance company. Whereas other companies are saying, we are out of network, we are going to access your out of network
0: benefits. So, right, right, exactly. Okay, so now you had looked at out of network because of some of those things, right? So, cost over time, cost increase, inflation, rent, everything, labor, every taxes, everything increase over time, reimbursement for all or most in network physical therapy practices has. Either plateaued or in some cases maybe declined, or there's Medicare cuts or whatever. So, you're saying that was like your initial point as to why you started to kind of research and investigate at a network?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, for those of you that follow business books and things, there was a guy named Stephen Covey who wrote business books out there. And he had said that there's no margin, there's no mission. So, when you're in network and your margin is so small because your cost of labor is going up and your reimbursement is so low. And you have to see multiple patients, three, four patients in an hour to get a reimbursement that makes sense for you to stay in business. Your margin is really slim. you know you get patients that cancel on a Friday, and you're like, there goes there all oh, my profit the whole week. It's just gone. I just basically had everybody working just so you know I can pay their salaries. You feel like you're getting beaten up by insurance companies, and then you see the out of network model, and you're like, "Well, how do I access these out of network benefits? You know what is a model that could work? you know how do I do it So I started looking into those things. You know, for me, I ended up staying in network with it just because I realized that, A, my offices were not in a location that's probably going to support out of network because people will come and say, well, wait, my financial burden is going to be more if I go out of network than in-network. I get it. You're providing a better service than in-network. But if the clientele can't or is not willing to afford it, then it became a harder model. My cost of acquiring those patients that had the out-of-network benefits was going to go up significantly. So I have to say no to more people and to the ones I finally get, meaning your cost of acquisition goes up. So then does your model, does your existing space... And if you're already locked into a lease that has 5000 square feet, and you're like, wait a second, I have a, a cost of this, you know, can I switch models like this? So you have to... You, you know, If you're starting a practice and you're analyzing, it's one thing. But if you already have an office space that you're already t- locked into a lease, and you already know that you're paying whatever it is, Per month, $10,000 a month. And you're like, wait a second. Now my cost is going to go up. My volume is going to go down. Yeah, I'm going to get paid more. But can I make this transition is the the key factors.
0: Yeah. Let me uh, double click on something that you mentioned uh, just a minute or so ago about the different of potentially different of the uh, quality care, or maybe, you're, maybe there's more time with the therapist or something. Yeah. A, a lot of practice owners that are watching or listening, if they're in network, they might get irritated saying, well, yeah, we might see two or three or four or whatever patients per hour, but we have some AIDS or PTAs or whatever. And, you know, everyone's getting quality care. Everyone's getting manual therapy. Everyone's getting FaceTime with their physical therapist, whatever. But you mentioned there's a difference. And now for us, it's there's a clear difference for us because we're sending our therapist to someone's home or office or, uh, yeah. their you know, home gym in Manhattan in their building or whatever. And it is a one-on-one 60 minute visit. There's no other AIDS or PTAs or yeah. anything like that. What do you say to a practice owner that's watching or listening that just got irritated by saying, well, we provide a great experience. And you're saying the only way I could do so for a better experience is if we were out of network.
1: Yeah. So I would say that if you're a practice owner, you have the burden of making sure that you're making enough money to pay your staff, pay your overhead, have a marketing budget and have that. And if you're out of network, or if your reimbursement, let's just say is higher, forget about in network, out of network, let's say your reimbursement, your reimbursement is higher it's easier to achieve your goals. Now, if your reimbursement is higher, and then you say, okay, even though my reimbursement is higher, I still want to see two to three or three patients an hour and still provide that quality care, then that's great. In my facilities, we used to see two to three patients an hour. Obviously not when Medicare patients are there, but we used to see three patients, two to three patients an hour. And every in-network provider knows it's not like that every single hour of the day. There's like clumps where it happens. you know. But I have noticed that in a lot of the out-of-network models, some people will do one every half hour and that's their methodology. And the reason why is because they're making enough money on that, that they they have more margin there. So they're okay with providing that. Now, they will say they're providing more quality care and they're doing it. But you know, I guess that's here nor there. It's just that when you're a practice owner, you want to make more and you want to be able to survive in practice.
0: Yeah. There was something that you mentioned, I think, on either the first episode or maybe you mentioned it in a pre-interview sometime where you were talking about in-network versus out-of-network. You said something about like apples to apples, like patients or the consumers, they don't understand the difference. They just think like in-network, do you take my insurance? They go to a place that takes their insurance and they don't have anything to compare it to in a lot of cases, right?
1: Yeah, so depending on the benefits, what we've noticed over time is out-of-network Benefits have increased, meaning not increased in a way that they have more coverage, but increased in a way that their deductibles have gotten higher. So the threshold to see them and how much they have to start paying out of their pocket, they have to cover, let's say, first $5,000 out of pocket. Now, this patient may have gone and had surgery. And by the time they get to you, they've already met their out-of-network deductible by, so that whenever they come to you, you're making it's all gravy, But for those people who start therapy in January, and they're accessing their out-of-network benefits, and they have a $5,000 deductible, and you're an out-of-network provider, and you decide that what's common in your area, because I don't know how everybody else does it, but the way you're supposed to come up with your fees, you're supposed to look at this book that basically tells you you know, what is common charges in your area at a certain percentile level. And you come up with the charges, and then you bill them. And then if you're billing them, and let's say you're billing $200 a session, well, that patient's going to be responsible for that pure $200. If they're out-of-network deductible, is different than their in-network deductible. Every plan is different. If you have a plan that has the same exact benefits, then it makes no difference to the patient, right? It just comes to quality of care. If they're out-of-network deductible is very small, then it is going to come out of their pocket more. And for some right. people, that may not be a factor because they feel like, hey, everybody here is out of network. So this is just what the common model is. Like in, in Manhattan, a lot of places are just out of network. So it's just, everybody just knows that that's what it is.
0: Yeah. And and I'm glad you touched on that because I'm in Brooklyn. We have a lot of patients in Manhattan. You're in Manhattan now, but I think for the most part, you had practiced and worked in New Jersey. So Jersey. kind of like the New York city area, I will preface it. And I mentioned on other episodes, like I understand that the cost of living here is higher. There's a lot of jobs and opportunities here where, People can afford this type of thing. they can afford to pay multiple visits of 250 per visit or something until they hit the deductible and then maybe they drop down to a lower cost. and I understand that there's socioeconomic issues in other states and other places in the country that this model just like may not even work, right? So I always like to preface that because you and I were kind of just talking about like what we know and what we've seen, but yeah. we know that we can't just like paint it with a, a wide brush across the whole u s or like every state.
1: When I do talk to practice owners, I will tell you that the out-of-network ones are like New York, New Jersey area. I don't hear about it as much in other areas. They have no clue what I'm talking about if I bring it up, you know. So I feel like it's definitely more prevalent in our you know tri-state area here, New York, New Jersey, more than anywhere else. Then again, we have such high patient density, so you know y- you can actually be okay by saying no, right? Well, so from, just taking it
0: from your experience, how would you? You know, you're a therapist, a previous practice owner. Again, you're in this New York City area with me. So, just from your experience, because it's going to be different somewhere else. But how would you compare the value of these two models? Whether you're looking at it, like you mentioned, some of the things of like from the practice owner side. So, like higher margin per visit, like more reimbursement per visit on average. That's why we are out of network and we bill out of network insurances. But we currently don't take Medicare and we don't take any in network at all. I'm I'm paying my therapist like eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars per visit. Right. So uh, if you're getting paid sixty
1: dollars a visit, there's no way you can, you know, do that. Plus yours, your scenario is one on one. You're truly one on one. There is no one else there. It's like you and the therapist and the patient and the therapist. So that patient feels like they're getting the royal treatment because it's just that one on one service. And those are the key niches niches at anywhere. Like if you're providing a service that no one else is providing in your area and everyone else who can't afford to do that service because they can't do it. Like, let's say lymphedema. Maybe that's a good example. Maybe that's a bad example. Maybe there's no great in-network facilities that are small because they can't afford to treat one patient at a time because the reimbursement isn't there. So the guy says to himself, you know, I'm a practice center. I can't afford to deliver this service for... You know, this insurance paying me $40, where an out of network, I'm going to be charging $200 because I'm going to give my that one hour just to that one patient, even when they come into my clinic. So I have to be out of network to deliver this service, you know, and that's a business structure that they decide that they have to do or places that I can't deliver this type of service here. I can't afford to deliver lymphedema.
0: Right. So you have not spoken to a lot of practice owners outside of this area in regards to out of network. So we're a little... I have. Oh, you I have. Have. Okay. oh,
1: I have personally. I've talked to people in California. I've talked to other places. California definitely does it. I have some friends that own practices over there, and they have actually, you know, some offices. Uh, one, co- they have two different companies. One is an in-network company, and one is an out-of-network company. There's all these different strategies that you know. Just sometimes yep. they fly under the radar, and we see it in New Jersey too when it comes to the way that the billing is done and things like that. But um, yeah, it, it's hard to have these type of um, the way these are structured to try to expand it over many, many, many facilities. Because there's just too many nuances that can, you know, blow up.
0: Yeah, there there was an example of that Michael Gorman has been on the show, I think two times, and he sold seven locations to select medical years ago, not that maybe five or so years ago. And he mentioned this on one of the episodes that he had a similar structure where there was like an in-network entity, like the, you know, LLC yeah. or PLC or whatever. And then there was an out-of-network LLC or PLLC some other business entity in the same brick and mortar office and yeah. they would kind of have I don't know how they did that on the front end and maybe you have some tips or some some ideas there but like almost like well you call in and if you are dead set on just using your in-network copay you know you're in network and you only can pay 30 or whatever dollars per visit like maybe you get funneled to the in-network entity I don't know and like maybe it's your new grads or your whatever you know staff therapist and then like yeah. If you want Michael Gorman, the practice owner that is like really experienced and all that, then to see him, maybe you have to go that in-network or the, the out of network route. I don't know if that's, you know, feasible or compliant or legal or ethical or, or what. I mean, there's there's a lot of like gray area there.
1: So there's a lot of gray area. If you ask the insurance company, they do not want that at all. They do For not sure. want under under one company, they they won't even allow it. They'll they'll try to do everything they can to go against it. You know, people have one office and they say they have two suites in Uh their mailing address. The one suite supposedly is in network. The other one is out of network. But here's their...
0: Suite one and suite two and it's like the same... Right. That's right.
1: But here's their point of view. And this is a valid point of view. If you are marketing your services as an in-network provider and you are taking those patients and then funneling them to your out-of-network arm, then that causes issues. And there's... I mean, I don't know if that's even gray area. That's pretty cut and clean from their perspective. Mm -hmm. They're, They're coming after you. Because you're you're kind of... I don't want to say false advertising, but you're kind of saying, hey, you know, come to me. You're dangling this carrot. But then once they come to you, you're saying, hey, go over here. Now, I guess if you're providing a unique and different service that is not covered in network, then maybe you can provide that over onto the other side and say, hey, your coverage plan doesn't allow X, Y, and Z, but we can send you over here and they will cover it. But this is... You'll have to pay... You have to go out of network for this. So then you're providing a distinctly different service than is than your in network provider can provide. But then you're saying, yeah, we did send them over there because we're providing a different service and that's what they requested. And they were aware that we were out of network and they were aware of their financial obligations. So insurance companies don't really have as much of a problem if, you, as long as you talk to the patient, you let them know their financial obligations. It's when that people play in the gray area and they just tell them, hey, we're collecting your in network copay. And then they don't collect anything else. And their bill just vanishes in thin air. And the patient says, I didn't know I was going out of network. I thought it was in network. No one told me. That's yes. when there's some you know shady things that, that happen. And yes, unfortunately, it does happen.
0: Yes. Now, a few examples. I'm not going to mention any practice names, but we mentioned it in the pre-interview. There are certain practices that have regional scale, pretty, pretty big scale. Where I have heard from either, so two touch points or two data points anecdotally. One is from a practice where the therapist, I know the therapist very well, and the therapist used to work for one of these practices. And the second practice was a patient who went to, you know, practice B for one or more visits. And then that same patient in the same calendar year earlier this year then came to us because they wanted like a convenient home visit and like kind of like an ergonomic assessment and, you know, some back pain, whatever. So then we did the whole out-of-network billing for that second patient, that second person. The therapist that was at this one large regional place that—and I don't know—there might be some. There's probably some tricks here where, like, maybe their website doesn't say in-network. It probably just lists like all the you know insurance, insurance logos that they, they accept. They that they accept, but they don't say you know we're a hundred percent in-network with all these plans yeah. or whatever. Like they probably remove that because, as you kind of hinted at, there's these. In network practices, or these larger corporates, who will charge the patient a flat, a flat copay, call it thirty bucks, fifty bucks, whatever, and say, "Here's your cost per visit. It's you know, it's fifty dollars, you know, every time you come in." And they will take that fifty dollars, but then they bill some of these patients. They'll bill that patient's out of network benefits, assuming that they have it. They yeah. will try to draw down that out of network deductible with yep. the allowable amount so they might bill 600 or 800 or whatever dollars per visit they will claim $50 on the copay side they write off the rest yep. of it they are telling the patient they may or may not even say oh we're doing in network versus out network whatever the patient doesn't really question it a lot of times because this is US healthcare and it's like oh okay my cost per visit is 50 bucks and i have back pain and i'm going to this office that's nearby all right great so there's a little bit of this stuff going on in the background and yep. they will then... It's almost like a lost leader. They might actually lose...
1: Absolutely. On the first six end. visits, first six visits, they know they're only making the $50. It's everything they gain after the six visits because once they've eaten all through the deductible, then they're like, okay, now it's gravy. Now we're actually going to start making money. So we have to provide a great level of service up to those six visits because we can't let that person leave us before that. Otherwise, we're, We've just kind of lost all that revenue.
0: Yes. And by... Let's just be you know, your example of, let's say, the sixth visit. Now... The out-of-network deductible was hit, whatever it was, two grand or what you said, five grand, whatever, um, probably closer to two, but depends on the allowable amount. And every insurance has a different you know, allowable yeah. amount, which is also crazy on the out-of-network side. So then at the sixth visit, it gets paid down. Now you hope to have that patient continue to come back in your office. And now the reimbursement per visit is like maybe 200 or 300 or yeah. sometimes even more plus the $50 copay. And then at that point, Maybe the practice says, oh, your your cost per visit is $5 now or zero, or they keep it at 50, whatever. And then, like you said, then it's all gravy, assuming that you're able to keep these patients right. for the full plan of care, which then goes into all the other things. of
1: Then it averages out. So at the end of the average, they're like, okay, well, we did $110 a visit or $120 a visit or $130, whatever it is. You know, they end up averaging it out. Yeah. Especially in January, February, that's that they're doing it constantly. Towards the end of the year, that's when they actually, you know... Most people have hit their deductibles, right? That's right. Great. So, so that's so, they really so that was
0: it. so that was the one example. The second example is we had this patient earlier this year. They called in, and one of my therapists went to perform the evaluation and treatment in that patient's home. We let them know with verbally and over text or email of like cost per visit, and you know we're out of network. We do accept your insurance on an out of network basis. This patient had already hit their out of network deductible for this calendar year for 2023. And then I had heard that the patient had gone to a different large, powerful regional practice who I thought was pretty great and in network. Right. And so then the patient, the patient like knew this is like, you know, patients like hardly ever know because we don't always know about the complexities of insurance and like cost per visit and, and all that this patient knew a lot. And I was like, well, like some, this is different. So the patient knew, like they were able to describe everything to the point of like knowing like the allowable amount and like how much we're going to get reimbursed. And she, or he previously saw like the EOBs, the explanation of benefits from this other practice. And the patient was like, yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be, you know, a really good reimbursement for you guys. Because when I went to so-and-so this other practice, they they did the same thing. Like my costs, they build my out-of-network benefits as well. And I go, wait, this practice that I know that is I thought was in-network and accepted every insurance. They build your out-of-network benefits, and then I had asked her. I can't recall the dollar amount, but I asked like, what was the dollar amount that they were charging her? And it was somewhere around like twenty to fifty dollars per visit. So it was kind of like the same example. So in-network copay yeah. in that cost range, uh, but then actually billing the out-of-network benefits, which again, is this like gray area, yeah. which you, you kind of mentioned like insurance companies don't want this because they know that we're trying to play this game or milk this system yeah. or whatever. And it's kind of like, it may not be totally kosher or compliant, but it's like maybe legal because they do it. I don't know. Like where do we go from here with this topic? I,
1: yeah. I, I don't, I, the funny thing is they say, and if you ask an attorney, they'll say, no, it's actually not legal. It's just like, it's like kind of like this, you're speeding until you get caught. So in some cases, doing the examples of the way they're billing and the way they may be doing things when they get audited, you know, some people are very smart. They get audited and they'll say, look, our system shows we kept billing the patient. The patient just didn't pay, you know, but then if they actually did a really, really deep dive and they say, every single one of your patients never paid, like if they really, really come after you, then that's when it's really tough. It's just that you know, for whatever reason, they they just don't really push that hard. But if they get fed up, or they see something egregious, or here's the one thing that will really get you, everything's hunky-dory until they start getting patient complaints. If they start getting patient complaints, they will 100% look very deep into you. If a patient says, hey, you know what, these guys were overbilling me, These guys were doing this or that or the service was not what they said. They're building, you know, here's my EOB, it says $600. I didn't get those type of services. All of a sudden, they're going to be like, we need to start inquiring. And then once they start inquiring, they're going to keep you, you know, on tab. They're going to keep you like, okay, we have to keep looking at this patient or uh, this clinic. You know, you're on their blacklist. But there's been some big, very large companies that were out of network and that later negotiated to get in network. And I will tell you, there are some that were very egregiously billing that were denied in-network status. They might be seeing thousands of patients a week, and then when they tried to get in-network, they said, "Nope, you're blacklisted. We're not letting you in-network."
0: Wow, wow. Well, again, these examples of these mostly in-network practices sometimes doing yeah. this almost like a I don't know, well, not necessarily like not necessarily a double dip. It's like they're 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 trying to chase that better right. reimbursement. And it's that risk of like, they lose some money on the front end, but like, it's definitely I will tell you,
1: if somebody's looking for the right way, and they say, well, I'm out of network, I like the way I do things, you know, I want to stay out of network, my advice would be just to do everything above board. When the patient comes in, clearly tell them their financial responsibility, clearly let them know that this is an out of network clinic. This is how we build. This is how we do things and have your charges that are always consistent you know, and, and use the... I think it's an Ingenics book. That's one of them. I forget the other one book that says, you know, like you could be at 80, 80th percentile of charges and you're fine as long as that's what's normal in your in your community, in your area. You can't charge $600 a visit when everybody else is charging $150, let us say. And then that, that puts you at like... It makes the patients get pissed off too. Even the patient knows that they're not paying this, but somebody's paying this and everybody knows the cost of healthcare is going up. It just... Just take some time before somebody gets uh, paid. Now, I will tell you in New Jersey, some of the insurance companies were catching wind of this and they weren't sending the payments to the clinic. They would send the patients to the patient.
0: And the patient would be like, oh, that was just money that I got. Sending sending the the payment, the reimbursement to the patient.
1: Yes. Yes. The insurance insurance check would never come to the actual clinic. It would come to the patient because they said you opted for an out-of-network clinic and yada, 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 whatever reason they chose. But then... All of a sudden, the, the patient is getting this huge check. And depending on their financial means, they're like, well, we needed that money. So we cashed it.
0: So <laughs> what are you going to do? In New York, Blue Cross Blue Shield is the only one that does this. And so what we do is, and everyone else, Signal, United Healthcare, Oxford, Aetna, we're all hooked up with EFT. So that just goes right into the bank account. Blue Cross Blue Shield, at least in New York, I don't know how it is anywhere else. They, Same in Jersey. For out, for out of network, they mail the checks to the patient, and this is like this is the reimbursement for you know, like you said the example of like once you know six visit or whatever. Then from visit seven and on, if their cost per visit is you know thirty or fifty bucks or whatever, and then they get a check. That dollar amount is for all those visits that we were just collecting the copay yep. level range. So we tell them upfront. We let them know yep. over email. We have them sign right. an informed consent or a financial consent form that says you have Blue Cross Blue Shield. They are the only ones in New York that we know of that will mail our payment reimbursement to you addressed a check addressed to you and your home address but just letting you know that this check this dollar amount is our payment reimbursement we're sorry for the confusion but blue cross blue shield is the only one that does it and at that point before they even start with us they have also already signed our other intake paperwork which includes the 24-hour cancellation policy and a card on file. So we will already have a credit or debit card on file. And in that description of the Blue Cross Blue Shield financial consent is if you're not able to... If you accidentally accidentally cash that check and you don't return those funds via uh, Venmo or PayPal or you know endorse the check over to us or whatever, if you accidentally deposit it and you forget about it and you shred the check or whatever, we have to get those funds. And so the le- worst case scenario would be we run their card we eat the credit card fees and we lose a little bit there, but we will already have that credit card on file before they even start visit number one. Yeah. Knowing that they get that check later, it could be in a, it could be one, two, three months down the road, but all that comes back to like communication and just managing expectations.
1: And you also put systems in place, right? You put systems in place. The unfortunate part of what I see a lot, and and you probably too, the amount of paper we. Right, paperwork we give these patients to fill out, they don't even know half the time what they're signing. They just get so tired of reading it, they're just signing it away. So then later you tell them, Wait, hey, look, you signed this thing saying you were gonna get this payment. They're like, I have no recollection of signing any of that stuff. You know, but you're always gonna get the one bolt one off person that, you know, cancels the credit card, cashes the check, and then you're like obviously chasing them. Is that the majority? No. There's no way of it's like even if you go in network and you 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 bill them the deductible and they just never pay. You know, then you're chasing after them, so that's going to happen either way. But I think if you're as long as you're above board and you're clearly communicating everything, I think that's probably the way to go. And then then you have to model your practice based on the average reimbursement that you need to survive on, and you know, based on your expenses and uh, your specialty. If you're providing a unique special service that others in your area are not, otherwise, if you're out of network providing the same exact service same exact patient load, same exact everything as an in-network one, what is your differentiating factor? How are you going to differentiate yourself to make sure that you're continuously getting the business? You have to be providing something better than what everybody else is providing to be able to tell patients, Hey, come to me and and pay for me.
0: Right. If there's a practice owner watching or listening and they're in network, should they consider dropping their lowest paying payer on the in-network side and, or going out of network. So whether you drop a payer and like, for example, Oscar Healthcare and Humana yeah. don't have out of network benefits, at least the over the past several years, at least the plans that we've checked, like they just never have out yeah. of network benefits and they may not have any at all. So when someone calls in, we let them know that whatever. Should a practice owner potentially get some coaching from you or someone else in regards to dropping their lowest payer that maybe is on the borderline of not even covering their cost per visit? And or... Taking like United Healthcare that in network is ap- apparently a pain, and and the reimbursement is getting lower and lower, and or maybe just take United Healthcare and drop from in network to out of network. What are some maybe tips or strategies just for some like quick yeah. wins and takeaways for practice owners?
1: Yeah, I would definitely look at how many patient volume you're getting from each, and realize that if you're dropping one that is a lower reimburse, but you're getting majority of your volume, that all of a sudden now your volume is going to drop. Tremendously, and depending on how your costs are and your your staffing, are you willing to change your whole model? If you have five or six staff, and now you're dropping your lowest payer, which happens to be your highest volume, you're not going to be able to afford that staff. And if that's okay with you, and you want to do that because your goal is to get margin, then just understand that that's great. But a five practice or a five therapist location has a large size that you still have to feed. You still have to pay the lease. So. You just have to do an analysis based on how much volume are you getting from the insurances, and if you're getting low volume and it's um, low reimbursement, then it's, yes, easy. That's it's a, easier. That's, not, that's an easy decision, right? Then you yeah. say, yeah, well, I'm going to go out of network with this one. So, or you're already saying, hey, it's already really low. This one just kind of adds in, increases my productivity, so maybe I'll just add it in. So, I guess it's an analysis. You know, I did a similar analysis that, just to keep you on uh, a little longer, just to tell you this, I actually took Medicaid for a while because. Either they sent me a contract that they didn't understand and the reimbursement was very, very high. And we started getting, you know, we were getting paid for a year and a half to two years at a really high reimbursement. And then they realized that they did something wrong. For some stupid reason, they decided that 97530 was not a PT code, that that's an OT code. And we're like, no, take a look at Medicare rules. They're like, no, we don't view it as that. You know, this is how we view it. So then all of a sudden they're like, no, we're not paying this code anymore. So all of a sudden the reimbursement kind of dropped, but we were taking a lot of that volume in. And then we're like, okay, well, let's just continue right now. But we realized that the volume wasn't worth it because we just couldn't keep up with it. So we immediately dropped that one too.
0: So in that situation, did Medicaid ask for any payments, retro payments and take money back? or say They, they wanted to take a
1: look at things. And once they looked at things, they said, you, you, as long as you, you code properly for the treatment that you're delivering, and they want to look at the treatment and they say, yeah, your notes indicate that you're doing this, then they just left that alone but going forward they're like well, we can't we can't continue to do this so whatever stupid reason or mistake that they made you know they weren't going to continue it so that changed the overall analysis on how we had to kind of look at things but for that short period of time you know it was what it was
0: what are your thoughts on in network practices potentially adding more cash pay services whether it's laser traction hyperbaric oxygen chamber red light therapy yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many other things. We use a device called the Stimpod for pulse radio frequency for pain yeah. relief and, and nerve treatment. And it's awesome. It's a great device. Yeah. I did an episode about it here. Those types of services and offerings, or maybe it's like a peripheral neuropathy program or a sports, yeah. whatever, you know, a sports performance, whatever program. What are your thoughts on? And, and I don't want to, I don't mean any disrespect to any in network practices watching or listening, but like potentially using the in network. Not necessarily yeah. as a loss the leader, but as a way to get people into your world, into your orbit, let them experience like your yep. team and all that. And, and, and just say like, Hey, like, Oh, your goals are to do this, that, and the other. Like we have this service or this offering, um, and it's X amount of dollars and either your insurance doesn't cover it, or we don't bill your insurance for this because of, you yeah. know, maybe there's no IC or there's no so, CBT I- code or whatever. Go ahead.
1: I, I will tell you that's an excellent question because I looked at it. I said, "Wait, we have all these patients. I want to be able to provide them services that maybe are not covered, and that they're willing to still take you know pay cash for these type of things." I will say to anybody looking at that, take a look at your contracts, because different insurances will say these are the things that based almost some of the contracts will say almost everything is covered, meaning you have to provide every single service, and that's part of your in-network reimbursement. They basically will say, Whatever you do is going to be covered under this dollar amount. They won't say, hey, if you charge ultrasound and we don't cover ultrasound. They're gonna say whatever you do, you're getting a, a payment of let's say sixty nine dollars per visit. You know, that covers all services. So you're like, wait, what is not covered? They're like everything is covered under that fee.
0: Yeah, but what what does that mean? Like any potential therapy or medical procedure?
1: Anything that's considered, yeah, physical therapy procedure would be covered under that. That has a code, right? It has to have a code for it. Like if you're charging continuous like, like, stim while ultrasound, or if you can, can, you know, and you're thinking, oh, well, they don't cover for this. So, you know, I can charge them for this. Insurance companies on the contracts will say, no, it's actually covered. You know, if we're paying you $69 to deliver one hour, up to one hour's worth of therapy. Whatever you do during that session is part of it. There's nothing that's excluded.
0: I thought it was more if it was medically necessary and whatever the definition in that contract of what's medically Ooh. necessary. So
1: you're but you're you're basically saying that you're trying to provide
0: something that's not
1: medically necessary. So therefore, that like, you like want here, to charge so, the patient.
0: So here's an example. You know how people are like, I want a massage, and they think like a lot of physical therapists just do like massage the whole ah. time. Well, if a patient calls into your office or they call into us or whatever. And they're expecting 45 to 60 minutes of manual therapy or myofascial release or joint modes or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, all that. Maybe we say, well, we can't bill your insurance. It's not your insurance will maybe only reimburse us. I don't know. I'm just saying, yes. I'm just throwing this out there. Two I units I per, per visit of manual therapy. And then like the third unit or fourth unit is either zero or it's like, you know, takes a big hack because of like, yeah. there's like some Medicare rule where like the follow on third or fourth codes or units get like a hit and they like get you know chopped down a bit. So whether it's, I mean, medically necessary, if someone has back pain and they want a 60 minute session of manual therapy, I don't think a lot of insurances will pay a lot of visits where every visit is three or four units of manual therapy. I think they want more like a mix of the therapeutic intervention and therapeutic activity. And maybe some, I get what you're saying.
1: I get what you're saying, but here's the the, the thing that you, anybody that's doing this has to consider. A, your notes have to be written in such a way that if the patient ever comes back and complains and say, they took additional money from me, I went to an in-network facility and I'm only supposed to pay a $20 copay, but they were taking 60 because they were charging me for other services. And this doesn't happen right away. It's afterwards when they start talking to their friends and somebody gets pissed off later and makes a complaint that if they were ever to audit your stuff, they can sit there and you can somehow prove that two units of manual therapy was sufficient, yet this person wanted more. How you do that in your notes, I actually don't know myself. Because yeah. Yeah. the insurance company will say, well, we never denied you. You could have billed three or four mm-hmm. units. We never said no. You know, show us in anywhere that we said no. There's the the thing that or you could say, well it was our professional opinion that they didn't need it. Well then it just calls the question. Where if you're doing a service that is just completely different, you know, and I don't I don't even know because you can't even say needling or let's say acupuncture. Acupuncture is not usually something we do. So you can charge for that. If you're not right. doing dry needling, then you have an acupuncturist. But if you're doing a service that's maybe completely different, that is not even provided by the therapist, then it's clear.
0: Well, what about laser or red light therapy? Because I don't think there's any treatment codes and I don't know any insurances that are paying for it. So if there's no reimbursement for these types of procedures, which are in the health and wellness world, but it's not necessarily medical or therapeutic. I mean, it is. But it's, yeah. if, if there's no CBT code for it, or if these payers are not paying for laser for a, you know one of these laser treatments, I mean, a ton of practices charge out of pocket. Then, yes. it, so, so it's fine.
1: Yeah, you can definitely do it. Just make sure that you look at your individual contract for the individual insurances before you decide to go down that route, before you decide to take any extra money from an in-network provider. Because once they lodge a complaint, that's when the insurances start going crazy. As long as you know that you've covered your bases and you looked at my that individual contract, if you're an in-network provider, and that is definitely not covered, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Just making sure you cover your bases because it's like nobody wants the IRS looking at your books. Even if you're doing everything right, nobody wants to go through that.
0: Right. So we talked about using a little bit more of the in-network as, a, as the front end, and then maybe you offer these other services. There's an example. Eric Broadworth was on the show recently and last year he did almost 200K of revenue just from red light therapy. So there's a couple of different, like he's got a red light therapy bed. It looks looks almost like a tanning bed. And then there's another setup where someone lies supine on a treatment table on a plinth. And there's like some of these like pads and, and you know, like these things that yeah, kind of yeah. like go over someone's skin. These the are right all, uh,
1: these are all he charged money for and, th- and the patients paid him out of it. So obviously you have to have good, PTs that know how to sell the service too.
0: Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. But other than that, once you learn how to do that, those are the opportunities that, that that revenue will never be retroactively taken back. As far as I know, because it's coming out of the patient's pocket. They're saying yes, they're raising their hand saying yes, I'm interested in that. And I think there's enough research or you know, reviews and testimonials or or whatever, that it seems like it would help me reach my goals sooner and it would help with my therapy and and recovery and all that. And so it seems like there's a little bit of that in in our future in the profession where practice owners can maybe sleep better at night with these out-of-pocket services, which I know may not be possible in every state or every zip code or every area. I understand that. But for the areas where it's possible, practice owners can't get squeezed there. In fact they can increase their rates year over year Absolutely. to kind of keep and keep it up with inflation and everything else.
1: It's kind of like a selling products inside the PT facility. You know, you're selling TheraBands, you're selling different things. You know, if you can increase your, your, your average reimbursement per patient by adding different things in that can be beneficial to the patient, you know, yeah, you're charging him for something that, but it's still beneficial to them. Somebody comes into you for frozen shoulder. You're saying, okay, do all these exercises, but I need you to buy these pulleys. You can do them at home. We charge $25. You want you can buy them here or you can go search for it on your own, but we highly recommend that you do this three times a day when you're not here. The patients still get value from it. They get a faster recovery time and you're selling a product to them.
0: Right. Let's wrap things up with some private equity and multiples really quick. So pre-interview, you mentioned private equity. What did you say that they love or hate out of network? What's your experience with this?
1: The general consensus after me talking to many different private equity people that have PT in it, they generally like in-network. They understand it a lot better. They feel more comfortable with it. They feel like it's something that they can build upon without uh, a law changing or something changing in the the works of billing and things like that. They just feel like it's more of an even keel platform. So they like it when it's in-network. Now, I know and you know that there's been some PE companies that bought some out-of-network facilities, but I also know through the grapevine that they're scrambling around sometimes afterwards trying to figure things out.
0: And I asked you why in the pre-interview in terms of like in-network and with private equity companies and firms. And you mentioned a couple of things about compliance and the ease of getting paid and some reimbursement yeah. considerations and regulation and easier to scale. I understand that. That's obvious. Like Easier to scale in a network practice or a PE firm buys a practice yeah. that has 20 or 25 locations or 50 or whatever. And it's easy for them to bolt on your practices and other practices that are already in-network because it's just like, you're just adding to it. It's it, it's already doing the core business model, and for a private equity firm, they want scale. And for scale, you have to have a an offering that is the most accessible, right? Which would be the lower yeah. cost, which typically would be in network. This
1: is correct, hundred percent. And then their their idea is that they'll just n- negotiate higher reimbursement, which I've seen them do. So then, for them, why would you even consider going out of network if you can, you know? negotiate higher reimbursements. Got it. Network.
0: Any final thought or recap uh, for this? In-network versus out-of-network? I mean, we covered a lot. Uh, we can't cover everything. We certainly can no. do part two if uh, if the audience is interested. But
1: I think for your people who are out-of-network and they have a business model that works out-of-network, then they should just continue it and they should just look at their systems to see are they making sure that they're providing good you know, clear language to their patients that nobody can ever come back and say, hey, I wasn't told this or I wasn't... I didn't know about this because then that becomes something that they have to be concerned about in an audit. You know, for your people who are in network who are like struggling, they may want to consider the out-of-network. And when they do consider out-of-network, they need to know where they're located. Will out-of-network be something that somebody would go for and pay those prices in in their area? Do the demographics, you know, afford for that? Or what service can I provide that is so unique that people will pay for it.
0: Right. Right. Amit, perfect place to pause. The audience can reach you to learn more about how they, how you can help them at AG Management Consulting. What's a good place, whether email, website, LinkedIn, how yeah. should the audience reach out to you to learn more?
1: So if you don't mind in your show notes, maybe putting my email, the uh, amit.gaglani at dot So they can, they can reach out to me there. That's probably the best way. Um, they can follow me on Facebook. It's, you know, Amit Gaglani. That's there. Um, and then LinkedIn, they can look my name up. Amit Gaglani OCS and, and find me there as well. I post stuff every once in a while about different PT stuff that I'm doing and other things that AG management is up to or different conferences that we go to that are cool.
0: Got it. So it sounds like in-network won this battle, but uh, Amit, this is great. I really appreciate your time for the conversation, uh, kind of weighing the pros and cons and the differences. And there are some differences and then obviously a lot of overlap. And uh, I hope that this is helpful and valuable to the audience. Go ahead. I won't agree. I won't agree that it won. <laughs> I will agree that it's a method. And I
1: agree, and I will also agree is your business strategy that is should be the winner. Your business strategy should be the one go. that defines what you want to do. So, you know, you could have a great out-of-network business strategy as long as you've thought about it and put the key things in place, then then you're you're a winner.
0: Awesome. To the audience, if you find this interesting and valuable or helpful in any way. Subscribe to the Dave Kittle Show on YouTube and also check us out on iTunes and Spotify. Location we'll next time here on the show. Amit, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at Dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D A V E at C O N C I E R G E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646 781 8884.